All rights were gained before this podcast production. All rights that were not gained are simply reworded and restructured based on detailed information so as to not plagiarize and copyright infringe. Domestic terrorism tactics and poisoning of multiple water supplies were only two horrific actions of this cult formation starting in the state of Oregon out in the middle of nowhere and based on a spiritually restructured version of Hinduism, most, Indu- most Indian individuals, and a percentage amount of Americans practice today, and the mixture of nihilism and somewhat of an understanding of what the mind and the soul actually is from Gnosticism. But how did a cult run by one certain seemingly harmless and particular guru end up dismantling an entire community when the only aspect focused on the majority of the time was sexuality and certain thought? This is the story of one of the most well-known and infamous and confusing cults in recent history, the Wild Wild West Cult of Oregon. history of today. First, are you a gym rat and is a gym rat your spirit animal? Or in other words, are you the type of person who would so regularly take a home blow up mattress if you were able to legally and sleep in the gym in and out of your workouts in order to stay up to date with your workout plan? Then obviously it is obvious that you should use pure protein. Pure protein has the perfect level of flavor and protein base to secure all that you can out of your workout and get the gains that you are looking for. Go online to order your amount of pure protein today and make sure that you tell them the cold exclusive sent you in order to get the most out of your workout and the most out of your health and be the gym rat you knew you were supposed to be. This show is also in part with Black Rifle Coffee. For all of those days that you feel dismantled and tired from both the current state of the political spectrum and when you're trying to simply wake up for that ultra early business meeting that is so so essential, it's even more so essential to have black rifle coffee in your day and in your morning for the easiest way to wake up. For one of the best coffee businesses out there and completely family owned ever since its creation. But it's also conservative-backed, so whatever issue is currently happening, whether it's keeping children safe in the schools or protecting the lives of the unborn, your purchase of Black Rifle helps to maintain justice and political sanity. Go online and purchase today for great flavors such as Ultra Dark Roast and Creamy Vanilla Bean Roast, and keep your coffee and conservatism together with your morning routine. Alright today, so we are talking about the Wild Wild West cult. And the cult of the Wild West, although due to the name, seemingly might sound like a film directed by Quentin Tarantino 10 years ago, it is mainly sourced in theological structure off of mainstream and highly over-sexualized, less mainstream versions of Hinduism and meditational practices in Hindu theology, despite the fact that they would overall want to claim that it is not religious at all, which of course is a very dangerous thing for any group to transpire to. 
The cult formation eventually became a distant community based on what is known today as Ratchapuritivism, which is very, very hard even for me to say, and a withdrawn community in the middle of the abandoned, mostly unpopulated area of Waco, Oregon, virtually in the middle of nowhere. Filmed after the heavy presence of police and anti-terrorist encounters, the Netflix documentary entitled The Wild Wild Country is not at all similar to the Yellow Park DVD that your parents got from somewhere, but nobody ever watched one time, details the cult of the complete perspectives of the cult of some of their participants before its eventual demise as it was released in the year of 2018. The leaders of the cult were two individuals that would soon within the next coming years become the long-standing and much-hated names of the entire state. First was Bahiwan Shri Rashish, who also went by the leader name Osho, and his accomplice in the whole organization, Ma Ahmad Shila, who served as his personal assistant and co-contributor to all of the biohazards that would later on take place. Now, theologically, the cult of the Wild West functioned on an ideology of politics that generally leaned in a lib libertarian way. Yet sooner than later, the ideas of this form of regurgitated libertarianism, in a sense, would soon disrupt the norms of people in America that they would deem normal and would come on very, very hard issues of sexuality in completely belligerent ways, which ultimately was one of the biggest reasons this cult became so entirely well-known and established. And of course, we will get to the particular form of reasoning soon later in this episode with a number of other governments throughout the world in the past millennia, as is if we have enough time for it. So this cult formation by theological means established not only a form of extreme libertarianism that did not truly meet normal libertarian standards politically, but also rested in the ideology that high devotion to meditation, which of course has become mainstream for the past 50 years, was necessary to live a pure life, as most people do today, and some college students claiming mostly to you know, drink Starbucks all day long with the recent release of their Zodiac symbol plan, and of course, meditation through Buddhist practices and Hindu practices, mostly very closely associated with some form of New Ageism. Now, Rashish and his high and accomplices communicated in another form of importance to be sexually free and as sexually free as possible in order to gain sexual freedom-based energy and thus live a life of separation from the loose ends in life and the hardships of life and to gain the holiness and the formation of a utopian community. This leader, by the means of his own website, that can easily be found with a simple Google, I will now disclose to you uh, all of his major viewpoints and perspectives in theology. And of course, you can tell me if this sounds anything like the Bible that you originally knew as a child, or anything like any type of religiosity structured community that of course should be followed. Now first he discusses love and sexuality. Quote, love is dangerous, sex is not. And again, these are from the website. These are not anything that I would perceive and the, this is not me just saying that I'm, you know, attacking the color. I'm saying, oh, wow, th this is prime, th this is an explanation of what theology shouldn't be. I'm just gonna attack the group. Or, or this isn't even people that have gone out of the cult and they're now belligerently 
attacking the code as much as they can. This again is completely taken from their website and I am not manipulating the words in any way. Now when it comes to sex, the guru, the guru quotes and has this to say. Love is dangerous, sex is not. Quote, people who are afraid of love are not afraid of sex. Love is dangerous, sex is not dangerous. It can be manipulated. There are now many manuals on how to do it. You can manipulate it. Sex can become a technique. Love can never become a technique. If in sex you try to maintain in control of yourself, then even sex will not reach the ultimate. It will go to a certain point and you will need to drop back because somewhere also it needs to let go. That's why orgasm is becoming more and more difficult. Ejaculation is not orgasm. To give birth to children is not orgasmic. Orgasm is the involvement of the total mind and body and soul altogether. You vibrate. Your whole being vibrates from the toes to the head, and you are no longer in control. Existence has taken possession of you, and you don't know who you are. It is like a madness. It is like sleep. It is like the meditations. It is like death." Unquote. Now, of course here, Osho touches on the subject of love in the most relentless and unhealthy ways possible, stating somehow that love and sex do not go hand in hand, even though they do and they should. And that actual love is dangerous even though he interprets sex to be far from dangerous even though they're connected. Obviously, or what should be obviously realistically seen is that the cult leader here is completely dismantling love and sex from each other while dismantling the importance of ethics going along with the marriage or sexual action. It makes no sense to say sex is not dangerous since it is. You could not only disrupt a person's psychological response to sex by manipulation, which of course the leader is doing here, but you could also that much more easily disrupt the development of a child or a teenager if you believed that no sexual action was dangerous, which unfortunately ended up being the reasons for the horrible sexual actions that would happen later. And of course, no realistic human being can say that sex is not dangerous. You can do some sort of sexual action, some sort of sexual foreplay that could be perceived dangerous, which of course is the whole reason why people have safe words as an example to begin with. Or you could just do something that is downright unethical and a danger to your own life, everyone else's, or an, a complete danger to the psychological clarity and health of everyone else around you. Straightforwardly, the cult leader is redefining the reasons for doing the action to begin with. Instead of incentivizing that people take part in the action of sexual encounters ethically and respectfully, he deems we only merely pursue our own desire and our own feelings over the feelings of our partner, and that the whole act is meant to be an act of achieving some effect of enlightenment through meditation versus the needs to start a family and use the God-given gift of sexuality to populate the earth from a biblical perspective. He also decides to uproot the reality of true medical terminology, restructuring what orgasm is meant to be, putting it in more of an enlightenment phase versus an enjoyment that is meant to produce children, and truly also uproots the notion that having children in the first place is not necessary, as people even today are led to believe. Why, of course, somewhat speaking in a strange, inherent combination of, of Strange Maroon 5 song, 
or a strange poem that someone said on the College Slam Poetry Night that you never wanted to go to in the first place. Of course, it is startling to note that a decent amount of individuals today, even if they've never heard of this cult group, view having children as unimportant as well or meaningless, or simply a burden which is basically the idea of, a cult, of the cult leader here if you remove everything about the Enlightenment attributes. Now Osho goes one step further now and furthermore confuses what the action of sex and the action of fulfillment are supposed to mean in a highly critical way, saying, quote, sex is raw energy and it has to be transformed and through transformation there is transcendence. Rather than transcendence, it religiously is repressed and if you repress the natural outcome it is a perverted human being and he becomes obsessed with sex. People who call me a sexual guru are obsessed with sex. I've not talked about sex more than I have talked about meditation, love, God, prayer, and nobody seems to be interested in God, love, med meditation, and prayer. And if I said anything about sex, immediately they jump on it. He later on regards to sex and sexuality, claims that sex will have no effect on a person when you decide to mix it together with Hindu and somewhat Buddhist meditation. Of course this makes no sense and is a completely false claim because mixing sex and meditation together is actually the entire point of the Kama Sutra document to begin with that has been adapted by some of those people groups, specifically with Hinduism. Meditation and sexuality can end up creating sexual orgies of course and it certainly will not make sex have no value, meaning, or heightened effect and at the same time completely disregarding ethics at the same point of reference as soon as you combine both of those things together. And of course, he says this at the same time as saying a small family is pointless because it removes your ability to achieve a highly sexualized version of enlightenment. Osho again is fooling people by using a methodology of reverse psychology, stating that an individual action has nothing to do with the point of the action and reassessing that that action is supposed to be used and reassessing what that action is supposed to be used for. And of course, Osho knows that people have always been obsessed with the idea of meditation, which is an easy window of opportunity through control. All you have to do is confuse your listeners to believe that one action is not connected to the other action, but instead is more connected to emotions that have no meaning, which in turn retransposes the entire purpose of both actions, which makes people more vulnerable than ever if they are still listening to you. Now what would be the best way to achieve this, you ask? Well, there are two main ways. Either you reassess what every single action is in response to those actions by the means, and you have every single purpose retransmitted, and all those mentioned actions have a completely different meaning. Or you completely disregard every single religious notion and disconnect religion from the entirety of the whole subject thereby completely accepting a form of nihilism. And if you know this cult leader well, which I actually just realized this myself, he was actually a big fan of whom I openly call a pseudo-philosopher, a man by the name of Frederick William Nietzsche, who openly made it his goal to render religion disconnected from thought and deemed religion false, which op openly exclaims Osho's views on religiosity completely and completely accepts an atheistic 
and nihilistic center. Now I'm going to go through some of the other main attributes that Osho goes through since we're not only since they're not only some of the most important topics, but they're also three very critical means for the development of a human being. First, what they what he thinks about freedom, reality, and faith. Second, what a person believes about ethical violence. And third, what a person thinks about the regular and most socially applied nuclear family and sexuality. First, we'll talk about freedom. So concerning freedom, he says the ultimate freedom is to quote-unquote be yourself, which intriguingly is what the left politically always incentivizes upon and completely uproots all ethics while doing so at the same time. And he goes on to communicate, if you are a Christian, you're a puppet. Your strings are in the hand of a God that does not exist. So just to give you the sense that God exists, and there are prophets, messiahs, of course, representing God. They represent nobody. They're just egotistical people, and even ego wants to reduce you to a puppet. They tell you what to do. They give you the Ten Commandments. They give you personality, that you are a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, and they give you so-called knowledge, and naturally, under the great burden, which they start giving you the freedom of your childhood, the Himalayan load you are carrying underneath is hidden, repressed, which is the natural self. If you can't get rid of all conditions, if you can think you are neither a communist nor a fascist, that you are neither a Christian nor a Muslim, you are not born a Christian or a Muslim, you are just born pure, innocent consciousness. To be again that purity is what I mean by freedom. Freedom is the ultimate experience of life. There is nothing higher than that, and out of freedom, many flowers blossom within you. And of course, he is using, again, Hindu symbols here, while at the same time denouncing religious importance. And this is, again, exactly what people think today when they acclaim the viewpoint and perspective that doing what I want overwhelms the responsibility of the nuclear family foundations. Now, concerning marriage, someone asked the teacher guru, if that's what you'd like to call him, of the concept of soulmates. And if the concept of using the terminology soulmates is more important than the concept of marriage. And this is his response directly from their website. Quote, you are ask, what you are asking is the concept of soulmates more useful than marriage concepts which don't matter. What matters is your understanding that you can change the word marriage to the word soulmates, but you are the same. You will make the same hell out of soulmates as you have made out of marriage. Nothing has changed, only the word, which is the label. Don't believe in labels too much. Why has marriage failed in the first place? We have raised it to an unnatural standard. We have tried to make something permanent, something sacred without having the ABCs of sacredness, without knowing anything about the eternal. Our intentions were good, but our understanding is very small. So instead of marriage becoming something of heaven, it has become a hell. Instead of becoming something sacred, it has fallen even below profanity. And again, he continues on the subject. Without marriage, there will be no misery, no laughter. Either there will be so much silence, it will be nirvana on earth. Marriage keeps thousands of things going on. The religion, the state, the nations, the wars, the literature, the movies, the science, everything in fact, depends on the institution of marriage. 
I am not against marriage. I simply want you to be aware that there's the possibility of going beyond it. But that possibility also opens up only because marriage creates so much misery if for you and so much anxiety and anguish for you that you have to learn how to transcend it. And again, quote, Learn something from marriage. Marriage represents the whole world in a miniature form. It teaches you many things that are only the mediocre, the mediocre ones who learn nothing. Otherwise, it will teach you that you don't know what love is, and you don't know how to relate, and you don't know how to communicate, that you don't know how to commune, that you don't know how to live with one another. It is a mirror. It shows you your own face and all of your different aspects, and all that is needed for your maturity. But a person who remains clinging to clinging to it forever remains immature. One has to go beyond it." Unquote. Clearly here he is claiming to respect marriage while also stating that marriage not only should be avoided but completely voided of importance to the structure of society even though marriage is one of the main aspects that holds society together on one end while God holds society on the other. Now lastly on the concept of marriage this cult leader states the ideology on the concept of a plastic flower idea. Quote, You seem to be absolutely unaware of the phenomenon of marriage, which is destructive to both the man and the woman. Love is creative, marriage is destructive, but love is not dependable. This moment, as it might be, there, excuse me, but love is not dependable. This moment, it might be there, and the next moment, it might be gone. And the man wants permanent things. He wants security, safety, and he wants to cling. Hence, love is not reliable, so he created marriage, unquote. <clears throat> Here, of course, the teacher, quote, unquote, if you still want to call him that, is clearly stating again that the whole idea of marriage should be rendered useless and meaningless in a form of bondage to the man and the woman, despite the fact that they were made for each other by a creator. And Osha hears again, decomposing and completely destructuring the idea of marriage being a formidable connection between people and rendering a disconnection between sexual partners is far more enjoyable than an actual marriage commitment and therefore an actual marriage connection. What's truly eye-opening or what should be eye-opening here is the reality again of people in the majority of Americans today have decided to already view marriage in this way a boundless disconnection between people that doesn't matter, thus making marriage not mean anything and surely not the glue that holds together societal standards in a community. What else should we think of this? And who else views marriage in this way? Well, literally everything in our society basically right now that of course is not connected to religion or the church. Polygamy, free sex, the free sex movement of the 70s, social media's acceptance of love and marriage to be somehow antonyms instead of being synonymous in meaning and clarity. It has become more and more bizarre also as people now desire aspects of marriage that don't belong, such as marrying dolls, mannequins, completely fake items through their mental illness, or even marrying themselves in a strange mix of self-denial and malformed norms masking as re-established social normality. Concepts that cause us to think in this way are not concepts that we should be following, and of course they're concepts that this teacher would admire since all he openly wants to do 
is overthrow what it means to be a structured society and what it truly means to be close to God. Now concerning death. On the concept of death again, Osho as a Hindu concept, and as he completely accepts certain Hindu concepts, yet avoids religiosity the whole time, says, quote, death is a misunderstood phenomenon. People have thought of death as the end of life, and that is the first basic misunderstanding of death. It is not the end, but the beginning of a new life. Yes, it is the end of something that is already dead. It's also the crescendo of what we call life through, through a lens, even though many people don't know what it is. He goes on later to communicate, these are the outer symptoms of fear and experience. Death is the transfer of the soul from one body to another body, or in cases when a man is fully awakened from one body to the other body of the whole universe. It is a great journey, but you cannot understand it from the outside. And you can only understand from the outside the symptoms that are available. And those symptoms have made people afraid. Those who know death from the inside lose all fear in death. So of course here he is completely ignoring the fact that there is some sort of Gnostic aspect and other forms of heretical early church history of the soul during the Gnostic period of the 1st and 2nd centuries. He also wants to disclose that religion doesn't matter, yet he is forced to claim that there is a soul, at the very least of some kind, so as to hold together the focus of his audience. And, of course, he is holding on to somewhat of a Hindu idea of rebirth and reincarnation of the soul into another body. But this is how his argument falls apart, as well as his restated argument that was completely incentivized upon and laid the foundation by Nietzsche. You cannot at any point claim that there's a soul without claiming religiosity in some way, shape, or form. You cannot even communicate purpose in your nihilistic argumentation without also still claiming that purpose exists in the first place. Not only is this teacher, quote-unquote, running with the ideas posed by Hinduism and some Buddhist thought concepts and, and philosophy, but he is still fully committing himself to discrediting them at the same time, which openly doesn't work and will never work in the end. He means to discredit and tear down faith by also upholding key foundations of faith, which also is what individuals claim when they say they're religious but not spiritual, or spiritual but not religious, as they also attempt to state in most of their lives today. Why, of course, falling short due to the fact they're ultimately inseparable from each other, and you cannot have ethics without both of those two things involved. It should allow us to not only run to faith, but also run to the ideology, religiosity, and understanding of God. Since this teacher is communicating a disunification of religion and God and purpose all together at the same time, which are the main building blocks of society as a whole. Now moving on to another aspect, concerning religion again from his website. He says when asked about the concept of terrorism, everything that happens is deeply related to everything else that happens. The event of terrorism is certainly related to everything else that happens in society. The society is falling apart. Its old order, discipline, morality, religion, and everything else has been found to be wrongly based and it has lost its power over people's conscience. Terrorism simply symbolizes that to destroy human beings does not matter. 
You cannot kill matter, you can only change its form. Once man is taken to be only a combination of matter and no place is given for a spiritual being outside of him, then to kill becomes just play, unquote. Of course, again, that's his words, not mine. And of course, again, these words are horrendous and are definitely completely within a classification that should not at all be perceived as truth. He again is claiming that nihilism should be upheld even though nihilistic concepts don't ever uphold themselves and is still somehow holding on to the concept of the Gnostic soul. He then disqualifies the importance of the Gnostic soul that exists molded together by his Hindu concepts and again speaks to his audience in a way where it doesn't really matter if you participate in terrorism, which of course is a completely insane form of clarity and a completely insane philosophy. Later on, for the past many decades, everyone has exposed nihilism to some extent, and they also, when they were younger, have most likely been exposed to nihilism to some extent. Through this teacher's masked words, he is literally saying that it doesn't matter if people kill each other pointlessly with complete meaninglessness being the only reason for the violence in the first place, which of course, again, is his way at allowing his audience to completely uproot every single association with clarity, thought, philosophy, and government. Now, what do we make of all these interpretations, and what should our response to all these interpretations be? Obviously, there is a soul, since we have the desire to have knowledge and understanding. Obviously, this teacher is claiming to have knowledge and understanding, while at the same time that knowledge and understanding doesn't matter. And of course, matter at the same time, which doesn't make any sense. And what is even more relentless is the fact that he speaks somewhat like a photocopied and disassociated Jesus figure, while also denouncing the importance of Christ. Whenever there's a situation where a guru is connected to sexual activity with enlightenment and also preaches nihilism or some sort of form of clarified nihilism in nature, it should be a reason to completely disregard any claim that he of course makes. And of course, by his own argument, his claims don't matter and therefore should be disregarded. Now, does, now at the time, did he have any partnerships with any other faiths? faiths? Well, it would actually be not surprising at all if Scientology had some sort of connection to this. But as far as we know, there were no partnerships with other faiths. And of course, like the Scientology thing that I brought up, it would make sense that the Church of Universalism would also have somewhat of a partnership, since that cult enjoys the idea that all faiths lead to the same place, which today ends up being transmitted as another version of enlightenment in the form of some sort of New Age mindfulness, which of course was exactly what this leader was assessing, even though he was so in love with nihilism. But these thoughts should also be disregarded as theology requires that we have correct theology, not just simply have a theology to begin with. And of course, this is the whole process of theological debate. Now, one of the individuals from an article in Newsweek stated that the teacher, quote unquote, again, if you still want to call him that, in order to have everyone 
not have any loose bounds and bindings between each other relationally. He would have everyone have sex with each other all at once to lose all bondage-related tension, which of course is just something that absolutely no one wants to see, but is still in light and in line with the late 60s and early 70s concept of free love. But of course, it involves a lot of endangerment of youth and a lot of endangerment of others when, of course, it comes to sexually transmitted diseases and viruses and, of course, just complete endangerment of sexuality and everyone's ethics all at the same time. Now, on the means of endangerment from the same source, that same lady, after having a certain amount of neck aches, mostly from the work that took place on the ranch, had fallen extremely ill, and she was actually poisoned by the secretary of Rashish for months and as a means of medical service. And, it was, and she was even given tranquilizers and hallucinogenic medication in order to keep her from leaving. And eventually in the facility, she was so ill to an extremity that she only weighed 79 pounds. Before this time, she noticed that the funds uh, with, with the cult were pouring and, and the teacher began to reap the spoils of the cult, partaking in expensive items such as designer watches and even Rolls Royce cars, which came only as a result of the extensive overworking by everyone on the cult with hard labor outside of the ranch and inside of the ranch. And of course, this is something that we see all the time when it comes to prosperity gospel. And of course, that should tell you something about prosperity gospel and only a negative aspect. Now, the mainstream aspects in religiosity that we talked about before was mostly meditation. Meditation regarded from Hinduism and Buddhism, and they would even at a time have Buddhist statues around the area. Using that form of symbolic representation and those signs of symbolic representation. Now, later on, everything began to fall apart. And the government began to notice not only money laundering and all of the very, very extensive red flags that were coming up, but they also noticed the, other the utter chaos that was caused within the region of Oregon. So, realistically, it is ex extremely likely that a somewhat or completely religious cult group will end up getting involved in some form of child endangerment attached to it, and overall especially if they seek out nihilistic tendencies. But of course, how did the biohazard attack actually happen on the community? So first, they started out by infecting as many strands of lettuce as they possibly could with strands of the parasitic infection Salmonella. Since they had a partnership with the local pizzeria, they gave as many people the tainted lettuce in the community as possible and is still regarded as one of the most insidious bioterror attacks in the history of the U.S. At the same time, his followers that were following him were also higher up in the local government in Antelope, Oregon, and they were eventually running for seats that were open for even more control of the county and the government, which were two or three seats in the county circuit court, which of course, if they won them, would be extremely detrimental to the society. In the fear that the followers would not end up getting enough votes to control the town, they elected to poison it with salmonella through the water supply and through the lettuce and salad dressings throughout the restaurants. The ending result? 
some 751 people with over 40 of those people being admitted to the local hospital with of course thankfully no fatalities which then caused an investigation to ensue and after about a year it was confirmed that the group tainted the food supplies in the town from here the whole group's ideology only continued to fall on the floor as even the leader Ashish himself accused his followers of being the sole individuals of the plan and tried to pin a future attempted assassination attempt against the local governor at the time on his followers which also was a composed plan to begin with. From here an FBI task force was assembled and search warrants were based and served in the ranch leaving the same bacteria samples to be discovered and two higher-up cult leaders that Rashish accused ended up serving a minimum of 20-year federal prison sentences. The main overall reason for poisoning the city community, also in combination with the government, was the inability to gain proper permits to expand due to not having control of the area completely. This put the entirety of the plan into practice in an attempt to overthrow the authority which of course was the leader's main intent and ideology to begin with if you've been paying attention to his words. Now in the aftermath of everything that occurred, this is a prime example that who you trust and who you follow is one of the most important choices you will ever make as a person. The main leader tried to bail by plane from the law, but ended up being caught off the plane in South Carolina, where he was charged and pleaded guilty to 35 counts of immigration fraud and later on served a total of 10 years in a minimum security federal prison. His two accomplices, Sheila and Puja, ended up serving a minimum of 20 years in federal prison, where they served 29 months each before gaining parole from good behavior, if you can believe that. Which is even more unbelievable, or what is even more unbelievable, is that the other woman, Sheila, ended up being kicked out of the U.S., ended up moving to Switzerland, remarrying somehow, if you can also believe that, and started to own two nursing homes. And we can only wonder what she was doing and if she was doing the same actions before poisoning individuals. Now overall, it matters how the government is run. It matters how people's sexual ethics shape him or her. And overall matters what religion people follow, as it makes or breaks a society as a whole and dictates appropriate responses to real-world problems issues and how to provide effective and sustainable order in a society. The complete disassembly of religious affirmation, ethical conclusions, and the overall purpose of everything in life is what ended up driving a whole community into abuse, disdain, disorder. <laughs>
Radio, Amazon Music, and Pocket Casts. If you have been involved in a cult and would be open to being on an episode to share your story, DM me on my Instagram page at the Cult Exclusive Podcast down line. You can also find me on Twitter, where you can also private message me at Jonathan of the Cult Exclusive. That's Jonathan of 40804. Have a great day.